Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2013. Titled The Sanctuary, it is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 9 for November 23 to 29. Sabbath afternoon, November 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week in expectation that we will see Jesus, that we will see your grace, that we will see your love, and we will have trust in you. And as we do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us, that our minds may be open to understand truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Let's read that again, Daniel 7.27, and it comes this week from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. As the book of Hebrews so clearly shows, after his death and resurrection, Jesus began a new phase of work for us. He became our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. The visions in Daniel 7 and 8 reveal that at some time in history, this heavenly work of Christ in our behalf had entered a new phase, the judgment. This is sometimes called the eschatological day of atonement, eschatological because it pertains to the end time, day of atonement because it is prefigured by the day of atonement service in the earthly sanctuary. Daniel 7, our focus this week, contains a sequence of kingdoms symbolized by four animals that parallels the sequence in Daniel 2, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. As we study, we'll see that the judgment is good news because our Lord God works for his people. He judges in their behalf before the onlooking universe and grants them entrance into Christ's eternal kingdom, the culmination of all their hopes as followers of the Lord. Sunday, November 24, The Vision and the Judgment. Daniel 7.10 reads, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Question. Read Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. What is happening here? In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, 
and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. After Daniel sees the four beasts, he observes another horn coming up among the horns of the fourth beast. This little horn becomes the main enemy of God and his saints. Then suddenly Daniel's attention turns from the dark earth to a bright judgment scene in the heavenly throne room, in verses 9 to 14. The judgment scene is the pivot of the entire vision and involves two key figures, the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Angels also are there, witnesses to the judgment. The scene unfolds in three steps. First is the court scene in verses 9 and 10, then the outcome of the judgment on the beastly powers on earth in verses 11 and 12, and finally the transfer of dominion and kingdom to the Son of Man in verses 13 and 14. God the Father is portrayed as the majestic Ancient of Days, the wise and sage judge par excellence. The Son of Man represents humanity. Jesus himself in the heavenly court. 
Jesus used this title many times to refer to himself, and at least twice he clearly evoked the images of Daniel 7. In Matthew 24.30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And also in Matthew 26, verse 64, Jesus said to him, It is as you said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Day of Atonement functions as the most natural typological setting for this heavenly temple scene. In fact, it is portrayed as if the heavenly high priest comes, surrounded by clouds of incense, to the Ancient of Days. In Daniel 7.10, the books were opened. Books play a major role in the heavenly judgment. There are several books of heavenly origin known in the Bible. The Book of Life, which is described in Psalm 69, Philippians 4, Revelation 3, Revelation 13, and Revelation 17. Psalm 69, verse 28 reads, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. Philippians 4.3 reads, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And Revelation 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. And then there's the book of remembrance, which we read about in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And the book of deeds recorded in Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. And then there is God's book, which we read about in Exodus chapter 32 and Psalm 56. So first of all, Exodus chapter 32, verses 32 to 33. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And Psalm 56, verse 8. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? So, to finish the day, imagine being judged by God. You will be. 
Imagine everything you have ever done being judged. It will be. If you have to stand on your record, your own deeds, your own good works, what hope do you have? What then is your only hope in judgment? November 25, Judgment Pattern Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 20. What does God do before he pronounces judgment? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. The concept of an investigative judgment is biblical. God's judicial process often includes a phrase of investigation and inquiry. A first instance is reported in Genesis 3, where God investigates before he pronounces the verdict. God's dealings with Cain in Genesis 4, Babel in Genesis 11, and Sonobam in Genesis 18 and 19 follow a similar pattern. We see God undertaking the same action that he requires of the judges in Israel, namely, to investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly, as it says in Deuteronomy 13, verse 14. Deuteronomy 19:18 reads, And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, investigation involves deliberation and fairness. It is often public. God allows others to see for themselves what he is doing. In this way, when God announces the verdict, be it salvation or condemnation, 
onlookers are assured that God's action is the best. This is exactly the reason why the heavenly judgment in Daniel 7 involves books. The books are not for God's sake, so that he would remember more easily, but for the benefit of the celestial beings surrounding him, who, unlike God, don't know all things. Question. How does judgment turn out for the saints? Well, Daniel 7.22 reads, Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. In talking about the judgment, Ellen White wrote in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, pages 471 to 472, The fact that the acknowledged people of God are represented as standing before the Lord in filthy garments should lead to humility and deep searching of heart on the part of all who profess His name. Those who are indeed purifying their souls by obeying the truth will have a most humble opinion of themselves. But while we should realize our sinful condition, we are to rely upon Christ as our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We cannot answer the charges of Satan against us. Christ alone can make an effectual plea in our behalf. He is able to silence the accuser with arguments founded not upon our merits, but on his own. And so to finish today, how do these words help us to understand why the judgment is such good news? Tuesday, November 26, Time of the Judgment Question. Read Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 to 10, verses 21 and 22, and verses 25 and 26. When does the judgment of Daniel 7 take place? Daniel 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, it was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words." I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." And then Daniel 7, verses 21 and 22. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. 
and verses 25 and 26. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Both in the vision and in the angelic interpretation, the judgment follows as God's response to the horn's presumption and climaxes with the transfer of the kingdom to God's saints. The Bible describes the judgment as occurring during the time when the horn power is still in existence, in verses 8 and 9. The horn's dominion is taken away only after the court sits in judgment. Then, when the judicial processes are ended, all earthly kingdoms are destroyed, in verse 26. What this means, clearly, is that the judgment must take place before the second coming. It is a pre-advent judgment that begins sometime after a time, times, and half a time, as recorded in verse 25. How could there be a final reward or punishment if there were no judgment preceding it? Indeed, the saints are rewarded at the time of Christ's advent, which presupposes that they have already been judged. Similarly, the wicked, including the demonic powers, will be judged during the millennium, before God executes the final judgment, and we read about that in Revelation chapter 20. Question. Why does God need a judgment? Doesn't, as it say in Second Timothy 2.19, the Lord know those who are his? Or as it says in the New King James Version, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Of course, our omniscient God is fully aware of who his people are. He does not need a judgment in order to decide who is going to be saved. The pre-advent judgment, rather, shows the judge to be just in the saving of his people. Heavenly beings need to be sure that the saints are safe to save. As we seek to understand the meaning of the judgment, we need to remember the reality of the great controversy scenario— which is hinted at in these texts, because we see the angelic host witnessing the judgment. Other beings have an interest in the final outcome of the plan of salvation. And so to finish today, the Lord knows those who are his. How can you be sure you are one of his? What's the only way to be sure? Well, Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Wednesday, November 27, when the judgment ends. Question. Read Daniel chapter 7 again. What are the results of the pre-advent judgment? Beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. 
Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came and the judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus, he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, 
which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times, and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The judgment results in several far-reaching actions. 1. The Son of Man is crowned. He receives dominion, glory, and a kingdom, as referred to in verse 14. 2. The saints receive the kingdom forever. The judgment is for the benefit of the saints who will receive God's kingdom, in verse 22. Unmistakably, the Son of Man and the saints have a very close relationship. When the Son of Man receives his kingdom, he invites the saints to join him. His kingdom is their kingdom, verse 27. This judgment leads to a time when the king of the everlasting kingdom is reunited with his people. This is their greatest reward, and his. 3. The rebellion is defeated and destroyed. The enemies of God's people are judged. After the horn makes war with the saints, it is defeated itself and destroyed forever. Verses 25 and 26. 4. The absolute justice of God is demonstrated. Because the judgment in the heavenly court is public and the angels attend the inquiries into human affairs, all can see for themselves that God is fair in his actions. He is able to uphold both love and righteousness. Thus, in the end, God himself will be vindicated, and all will acknowledge that God is just and that God is love. The whole procedure ensures that the universe will be a secure place for eternity. As we read in Psalm 51 and verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And Romans 3, 4, Certainly not, indeed. Let God be true for every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. The pre-advent judgment results in fulfilling the hopes of both God and the believers. God's desire is to save his people and eradicate sin, while leaving no doubt about his love and justice. Humanity's yearning is to have salvation from sin and its oppression in every form, and to enjoy eternal life in the presence of the one who loves them. The judgment thus becomes the guarantee for an eternal and trusting relationship between God and his creation. In The Great Controversy, page 678, we read, The Great Controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. 
one pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. Thursday, November 28, Responsible Assurance Question. Read Psalm 96, verses 11 to 13. What is the reason for all creation to rejoice? Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar, and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful, and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord. For... He is coming, for He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His truth. Why would anyone cry out, Judge me, O Lord, as we read earlier in Psalm 7 verse 8? The reason is simple. Judgment means salvation. In Psalm 54 verse 1, Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Psalm 26 is a heartbreaking plea for justice and righteousness. David expresses marvellously the idea that God, the judge, is always on the side of his loyal people and that his judgment is more than desirable. Verse 1 reads, Vindicate me, O God, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. And Psalm 35, verse 24, Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. And Psalm 43, verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. And Psalm 54, verse 1, Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. This is because judgment also implies vindication. So, does the pre-Advent judgment threaten our assurance of salvation? No, because the outcome of this judgment is certain. It is in favour of the saints, as it says in Daniel 7.22. God's work in the judgment reaffirms our forgiveness and intensifies our assurance by making our sins eternally irrelevant. Judgment is actually another manifestation of the salvation that is ours. The judgment is not the time when God decides to accept or reject us. Rather, it is the time when God finalizes our choice of whether or not we have truly accepted Him, a choice revealed by our works. For the believer, then, judgment increases assurance. To put it more radically, judgment lies at the heart of the doctrine of Christian assurance. Question. Read Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. How should the reality of judgment affect the way in which we live? Romans 14, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? 
Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. To exempt the righteous from judgment is not what the Bible teaches. Though the righteous are vindicated in the judgment and their sins are forever blotted out, the anticipation of the judgment encourages them to live a life of loyalty and accountability. The assurance of salvation is thus accompanied by the motivational impetus for moral behaviour. Because God has done so much for us, we love Him and seek to express that love through being faithful in all that He asks of us. So, to finish the day, suppose a fellow believer expresses his or her fear of God and especially of the judgment. How can you help that person to understand the good news about the judgment and to develop a personal sense of assurance regarding salvation? Friday, November 29. From the book Christ Object Lessons, page 176, we read, He who dwells in the heavenly sanctuary judges righteously. His pleasure is more in his people struggling with temptation in a world of sin than in the host of angels that surround his throne. And from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 588 and 589. Satan has an accurate knowledge of the sins that he has tempted God's people to commit, and he urges his accusations against them, declaring that by their sins they have forfeited divine protection, and claiming that he has the right to destroy them. He pronounces them just as deserving as himself of exclusion from the favour of God. But while the followers of Christ have sinned, they have not given themselves up to be controlled by the satanic agencies. They have repented of their sins and have sought the Lord in humility and contrition, and the divine advocate pleads in their behalf. He, who has been most abused by their ingratitude, who knows their sin and also their penitence, declares, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. I gave my soul for these souls. They are graven upon the palms of my hands. They may have imperfections of character, they may have failed in their endeavours, but they have repented, and I have forgiven and accepted them. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Where did questions about God's justice, law and fairness first arise, on earth or in heaven? What are the implications of your answer, especially in the context of helping us to understand why there is a heavenly judgment of any kind? 2. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has proclaimed the message of the judgment for many years now. Still, Christ has not returned. How are we to respond to what seems to be a very long time? Why is it so important to remember that, as humans, we have a very limited understanding of time itself? 
Think about some of the very long prophecies in the Bible and how someone living in those times could easily have been discouraged about what, from their perspective, seemed to be taking forever. And three, many Christians believe in the biblical concept of judgment. How could they not? It's all throughout the Bible. How, though, does linking the judgment to the sanctuary help to reveal crucial truths about the nature of judgment and the assurance that it offers us? Inside Story Our story this week is titled Spreading the Light and it comes from Nelson Aruna who is a Pathfinder leader and Sabbath school teacher in Cora in Papua New Guinea. Spreading the Light High on a lush mountain top in Papua New Guinea, PNG, stands the village of Cora. People live in simple houses made of roughly cut wood and a thatched roof. They raise crops of yams, bananas and sweet potatoes. Most of the older people can't read and they speak only the local language, which we call one talk. Teaching them the Bible was a challenge, but your mission offerings have made it easier. Many adults come to the children's Sabbath school to hear Bible stories. We now have flip charts, modern picture rolls to illustrate the week's lessons. These picture rolls were given to us because people around the world gave a special 13th Sabbath offering a few years ago. The flip charts help focus the attention of the children and adults while they hear the stories. Recently, we received MP3 players, audio devices that contain the entire Bible plus children's lessons on them. Because the Bible and the stories are in pidgin, I listen and then translate the story or Bible text into the one talk. For those who understand Pidgin, I turn up the volume so they can hear the story in Pidgin, and then I translate it so everyone can understand it. I teach the kindergarten Sabbath school, and the lessons are on the MP3 player, so if I can't get a Sabbath school lesson quarterly, I can still hear the story and tell the children. To the children, it's like listening to the radio, only they're hearing God's word. Another important mission project has vastly improved the lives of the people living in Cora and in similar villages across the rugged Papua New Guinea terrain. Several years ago, the 13th Sabbath offering helped purchase a mission plane for P&G. The plane brings us our Sabbath school supplies, drops off missionaries or other church officials, and sometimes carries seriously ill or injured villagers to the hospital just 30 minutes away. Without the mission plane, it would take days of difficult and dangerous hiking to cross several mountain ridges to the nearest town. Recently, another 13th Sabbath offering helped raise funds to open medical clinics in several isolated areas. The offering will help thousands more hear God's word on MP3 players and will help buy Bibles for children to share with their families across the South Pacific. The people of Cora and across the South Pacific thank church members in places they've never heard of for helping in so many ways to teach them about Christ. 
This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Thank you.